This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a goofy show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a lady that is revolutionizing cat rescue fundraising. I will tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet parent, a fundraising guru. She's a cat trainer, behavior consultant, a professional pet sitter, an animal Reiki practitioner. She's a foodie, a wine snob, a world traveler, a fitness fanatic who is obsessed with pickleball and Paris. She was born and raised in New Jersey. She's wife to Scott, cat mom to the Possum Four. They are Jonesy, 15, Henry, 7, West, 4, and Jameson, 2. She also looks after a feral friend named Butch. She just celebrated a birthday. Happy belated. And she is the founder and president of Mission Meow. She's Sally Williams. Welcome, Sally. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited we're doing this. I know. I got to meet you at Super Zoo. I will never forget you because you were the one with the great hair and that great hat. The hat. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody said that was a Burning Man kind of hat. I don't know. I thought it was very Elton John. (laughs) It was it was was something. It was definitely something. Have you worn it since? I've worn it since, but not like I'm I'm waiting for the perfect party. Like there has to be like when people throw white parties or cause it's this crazy, you know, white hat with all the sequins and, um, it's very, what is, uh, gosh, what's that called? There's a certain genre of apparel that's that. And I can't even remember what it's called, but it's kind of like this crazy, almost captainy looking hat with the goggles on it. And yes, amazing. It's very interesting. It was something I've never seen anything like it before. And I don't want to see it on anybody else. It's like your signature Ah. look now for me. Oh, well, thank you. And it was (laughs) funny because that hat made it around the room that night. (laughs) Yes, it did. I I even wore, I think I have a picture wearing the hat. It did not look as good on me as it did on you. I will say that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to dig into all the things you've been doing in the past year plus, because I know Mission Meow just celebrated an anniversary. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Before we dig into all of the nitty gritty, I want to introduce our drinking game today. So anybody at home participating in our drinking game, anytime you hear this word... 
the secret word is resources. Take a drink of whatever you're enjoying. Please be over 21 in the U.S. to partake in an alcoholic beverage. Never drink and drive and always drink responsibly. So what are you joining us with today? (laughs) That is not a glass of wine. (laughs) It is not. So I know I had big plans. I have this beautiful Sancerre waiting for me. And then last minute, I got an invite to one of my passions, which is pickleball. So I have a delicious mocktail I am joining you with tonight. It's actually strawberry and mango and a probiotic yogurt. <laughs> yes, yes. Lots of protein. So get I'll be on something to get my strength for two hours of pickleball tonight. And the Sancerre is chilling for another time. So we'll do this again when again. I can really enjoy the Sancerre because we said I'm, I love Paris. I had this whole I know. Place. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I always know a true wine snob when they know Sancerre. And because I lived in the Loire Valley or like on the east side of the Loire Valley, not the really known side uh, in Montargis. And that's all we have. Okay. We have Sancerre there all the time. And so I know a true wine drinker when somebody has Sancerre at home. I actually am having something else that true wine lovers like. It's a Gruner Vetliner. This is a Hungarian wine. And I love a Gr- Gruner Vetliner. So Cheers. Oh, Thank I you, Sally. To know more about that. Ugh. It's such a nice herbal wine, kind of akin to like a Pinot Grigio, but mm-hmm. bigger, a bigger wine. I love yeah, a Gruner you got me that. You got me with bigger. Yes, it's bigger than a Pinot. In a Pinot Grigio, you're always like, you know, you can drink it anytime. It's like yeah. a picnic wine, but sometimes you want something a little more substantial. So that is what the yes, Gruner Vetliner does for me. That. All right. Well, I always introduce this show with a game and today is no different. We're going to play a game that I've called the struggle bus because I have a very distinct feeling. And I think all people in the pet industry know that pet shelters and rescues are currently and have been for a long time on the struggle bus. Would you agree with that? That's why Mission Meow is doing what we're doing. That's exactly exactly it. So you couldn't pick a better one. Exactly right. So I've taken some information from the interwebs. Uh, regarding just some statistics about shelters, rescues, euthanasias. And this is a true or false game, but I ask that you give us your perspective from where you are in the country, because everybody's regions are different. I'd love to hear some perspective. So we're going to try to keep this short, but I'm sure we'll talk it through. So here we go. The first question is, according to the Humane Society of the United States, there are approximately 3,500 brick and mortar animal shelters in the U.S. True or false? 3,500. Okay, I'm going with true. It is true. Does that seem low to you? That was why I hesitated. That was my hesitation. Yep. Yes, just because I, when I was launching Mission Meow, I did a lot of research to look into, you know, the brick and mortars, the smaller shelters. So my guess is that is probably on the low side. I don't know how current that number is. So maybe it it's was a 22. So it's 22. Okay, so yeah. maybe because we know we lost a lot during COVID who lost the brick and mortars who are now existing as a foster based group. Yes. So it could maybe. be closer to true because of that. Okay, there are approximately 10,000 rescue groups and animal sanctuaries in North America. 10,000 in North America. I'm going to say false. 
It actually is true according to these statistics. Huh? Did you think it was higher or lower? I was thinking, well, complete North America, that kind exactly. of maybe push it higher, but yeah, these are kind of low for me and I'm surprised, but I guess it makes sense. If we don't have enough room for pets, this next thing is going to happen. Yes. There are approximately six to eight million cats and dogs entering shelters each year. I would say that, I mean, it sounds maybe even low, but I'm going to go with true again. <laughs> yes. And what's interesting about this, that I found that the highest year for intake was actually 1973 and they were taking in 13 million. 1973 was the highest, really. That's interesting. I just thought that was some interesting trivia they added. Okay, of the 3 million cats and dogs euthanized in shelters each year, approximately 2.4 million, or 80%, are healthy and treatable and could have been adopted into new norms. I hate to say true, but I'm going with true. It's definitely true. It's definitely yeah. true. 70% of cats that are euthanized in shelters equals about 1.4 million cats, according to the ASPCA. Yeah, yeah, doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. <gasps> so, I know that's so why awful. all of us in rescue want to start our own sanctuaries, right? When anybody asks, what are you going to do when you hit the lottery? That's what we all say, because we want to <laughs> save them all. Yes, agreed. That's what I would do too, for sure. Approximately 50% in some regions, it's as high as 66% of shelter populations consists of cats. They're saying that 50%, over 50% of the population are in the shelters are cats. Yes. So it's easily 50%. I would say it's probably even higher in a lot of places. Yes, I would agree with that. So it says as in some regions, it's as high as 66, 70%. Yeah, yeah. I know locally. It's really? It, even in New Jersey? Yes. Yeah. So oh, I'm in yeah. Texas. You can just imagine the atrocity that it is yep. here, unfortunately. I just, outside of this game, while I was researching this game, I went to the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary website and they had the top five states for euthanasias and shelters. And it was not in any particular order, but it was Texas, California, Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida. And so I was not happy to be on that list as a Texan, but I it's not really surprising at all. No, I'm a little surprised in California just because I, I mean, I am definitely biased on this towards the southern states, you know? Yes, exactly. What That's I what know. I thought. Yeah. Maybe it's just because of the population, I guess, because of the yeah, size of the such state. A massive, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Okay. Next one. According to the ASPCA, of the cats entering shelters, approximately 37% are adopted, 41% are euthanized, and less than 5% of cats who came in estrays are returned to their owners. Would that sound about right? Can you say it one more time? Sure, approximately 37% of cats and shelters are adopted. 41% of them are euthanized, so more than are adopted. And only 5% return to their owners if they came in estrays. I hate to think that's true. It's the adoption, that, but it, I guess I have to take into consideration that, see, it's not necessarily true what I see around here. Um, but taking everything into consideration, I guess I'm going to go with true just because of... It is true, but do you see it being that more cats are adopted than euthanized in your area? With the organizations that I'm familiar with, yeah, the organizations that I work with as Mission Meow, the organizations I see in New Jersey, sure, there are ones that are not, but I, I, I think that the, the adoption rate for what I see is that's higher. Um, yeah, and it I is higher think, in your area. There's a really good programs around here um, for getting feral cats 
you know, return to field and or out to farms or backyards or warehouses, working cats, quote unquote. So, um, but I know that, you know, that's a very different thing state to state. It is. It's very regional. So that's why I like to bring these in and then ask my guests, like, what are you seeing? Because you guys are the experts in your area and with the organizations you work with. This I got from your website. 75% of community cat organizations cannot afford to pay their employees. Yeah, it could be even more so now. Most of the organizations that we have talked to and work with, they don't have paid staff. They're all volunteers. That's why we talk about burnout so much because these are people that have other jobs and they're doing this over and above that because they have a passion for it, which we all do here. But the reality is, is that, you know, doing that in your spare time and we know the stresses that go along with it where do you have time to take care of yourself you know it's a sad reality of it is you it's um largely women you know largely volunteer yes absolutely and if they are volunteering in a facility According to your website, 80% of small shelters have aging facilities, rising costs of veterinary care, and very limited resources. True. Yeah. Absolutely true. Why we exist. These, all yeah. these things are, and I'm sure some of these statistics may have changed since those numbers, because we launched a year ago and those numbers were probably a year before that. Mm-hmm. So things hopefully have improved, but not likely, unfortunately. Um, yes. We're seeing, you know, the small shelters struggling and closing at an alarming rate. So, um, and I know how hard it is to keep up. You know, the the priority is the care of the cats. So mm-hmm. sometimes things that you need for your building go by the wayside. Of course, absolutely. Until there is some kind of catastrophe, and then it's like, oh no. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's. It's yep. terrible because you can't be pre preemptive. You can't be proactive with zero resources. So you are a fundraising guru. You're obviously a true cat lover, a boozy cat lover like me. But how did you end up founding not one, but two cat specific organizations aimed to helping people fund rate fundraise for either individuals or organizations? Tell me how you got to this moment. So I, I take a long story short. So the first nonprofit, the Brody Fund, was cat and dog because I actually am a both lover. I'm just not to a both lover. My husband's not the dog person that I am. However, I will say I always felt like I understood cats. So that's why, you know, that real connection. But so the Brody Fund came about when my cat Brody was diagnosed with cancer and we decided to treat I had a nasal tumor, uh, which meant radiation um, five days a week for four weeks. And in that time frame, I stayed at the vet hospital. And I'm just one of those people that takes a lot in. Like I noticed things, I listened to things. And a common conversation I heard was either amongst families, spouses, or, you know, client to veterinarian, the cost of care. And it was really the first time I had heard, and this, so this is many years ago now. So this is about eight, nine years ago now. Um, I heard economic euthanasia. Mm. And that was the term that really bothered me. And that meant that even though there was a treatment for your pet's cancer, you yep. likely couldn't afford it. 
And then you were talking about palliative care, which inevitably would lead to economic euthanasia because you couldn't afford treatment. And I had never run a nonprofit. I got involved with one at that vet hospital to kind of get my feet wet. But the interesting thing was that they were paying for emergencies and things for the cats and dogs in the hospital, but cancer wasn't covered. So I said, well, how about this? How about under the umbrella of your organization, I start fundraising and we can have a separate little nut for pets with cancer. So I did it. My first event was a yoga event and, you know, it just kind of went from there. I quickly realized that I could do this and filed for 501c3 and launched the Brody Fund. So for over seven years, uh, we gave grants to families that had cats or dogs diagnosed with cancer. Uh, We were a national organization. And what was different about us was we fully funded these cases. We didn't cap at, say, uh, 2000. And it all makes a difference. There are beautiful, wonderful organizations out there that do that. I felt like I, as somebody who was living with a pet with cancer, I knew the challenges of having that money. And I didn't feel like giving them a Band-Aid was helpful. Because what if then you don't get the rest of the money? Then your pet stops treatment. The vet has to... Like it just so we we always fully funded cases. So living in the pet cancer world was hard. I had another cat diagnosed with cancer. He was treated and fine. And then a third cat diagnosed with cancer, who was my sole cat, Marlon. And this was pandemic, Marlon having cancer, running a pet fund. And I, when I am involved with a nonprofit, I'm all in. So I had studied grief counseling. I mean, I was these, these, families that we gave grants to became my family. And eventually that was not sustainable for me emotionally. And uh, I discovered what burnout was. And I didn't know that that could happen to somebody in the nonprofit world until I listened to a podcast one day. And I was like, a huge light bulb went on as to why my papers were stacking up and why I was not making clear like decisions. I felt like I was just struggling. And then I realized what that was. So we made a difficult decision after pursuing a lot of different possibilities and we raised a lot of money and gave grants to the hospitals. We worked with little legacy funds and we said goodbye to the Brody Fund and I closed that chapter of my life and took some time off and took Good. some time to heal. And in that time frame, I realized how much I miss nonprofits and, and how much I miss serving the cat community specifically. And right. I had seen what was happening because I, I was still getting all the newsletters and seeing all the social media. And I was seeing what, what was happening to shelters, rescues, TNR groups during the pandemic and thought that's where I really want to help. I want to help these small groups that are really struggling. And the name Mission Meow came to me, did a little searching on the web, saw there was another group that had similar, but not the exact name. So grabbed the name and then it was, well, what's my mission? And I realized I wanted to specifically help small rescues, small shelters, small TNR groups, because if they go away, we're in big trouble. And (laughs) I wanted to make a big difference. So after talking to them, a lot of did a lot of interviews, finding out like, how often do you get donations? Who are they coming from? Is it individuals? Is it businesses? All that kind of stuff. Um, We narrowed down to what we wanted to do, which was we wanted to give bigger grants to small nonprofits. So grants like $10,000 because they really don't get those. The big organizations get those checks, 10, 20, 30,000 and more. And that's yeah. important 
but the issue is if these other ones don't get anything or they get the small ones, they never quite get ahead. So what we decided to do was we don't give grants for rent, for veterinary bills, for food, for litter, none of the basics. It's what do you, what's your dream? What do you really want? Do you want to launch a program? Do you need a van for transport? Do you want to renovate? Do you want to build a catio? Like some think big. So that's what we wanted to do. And then it's how do you do it? How is this sustainable? Because looking for individual donors is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and they come. And because I've been in the nonprofit world, it's a little bit easier for me to grow that. But um, it's that it's grants and it's events and then it's businesses. All those things were how the Brody Fund ran and really typically how a lot of nonprofits run. Grants these days, there's fewer there's a mm-hmm. ton of competition for them. And so it's a lot of work for maybe not as much payoff. So I kind of pushed that to the side. Events, well, I love them. I'm a party girl. I uh-huh. love that. They cost money and mm-hmm. the outcomes tend to be unpredictable. Events, yep, you think are, you're going to knock it out of the park. And then when it falls flat, you're like, what happened? And then the yeah. little event that you do turns into this tremendous fundraiser, like my giving track. <laughs> So kind of said, okay, we're not going to focus on events. So I really landed on businesses. You know, how can the businesses help more? And I've told the story before. There was a fire in a community nearby where a family lost everything and the community came together. And independently of the families coming together, the businesses came together and all contributed, whether they just wrote a check, held a fundraiser, did the percentage of sales. And I was like, that's it. That is the foundation of an organization that will be sustainable. So I kind of call it business crowdfunding. So we have businesses that commit to giving. Right now we're giving quarterly. So we have currently 57 businesses, soon to be 60 businesses, and they sign on to give. So we just gave a grant in October. We'll give again in January and so forth. And the goal is to eventually give two or three donation grants in that in that month. It's good for us. It's a good structure. It's a good schedule. The businesses that come on don't feel overwhelmed. They're not giving every month. It allows them to contribute to organizations in their community that they want, but also be impactful with us. Right. And The cool thing is, is that there's all different size businesses. So if you're a big business and you can afford to give more, that's great. If you are just starting out, you can give less and give what you afford. If you determine the level you want to come in at, because the thing is coming together, that's how we make the, you know, that big number. So for anybody listening, if you think of the math, if you have 50 businesses in a month and they average a $200 donation, just an average. That's $10,000 we've just raised before I've sold a t-shirt, before I've gone out to a convention, before an individual donor has donated, we have a $10,000 nut. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's just been a fundraising month. And then because people donate every single month, you add that all in and that becomes like our little safety net. So if somebody applies for a bigger grant, we have a resource to pull from. So um, our business partners are the foundation of the organization. And we're so fortunate because the cat community or the cat loving community, because they're not all cat businesses, 
they're yeah. very generous. They're very passionate about helping, you know, the cat rescue community as well. They love being able to pay it forward. Well, I am so happy that you are sharing this with us because you've only been around for a year and you're obviously doing amazing things. You're obviously so committed. What has been the biggest surprise doing this particular project that you've encountered thus far? And congratulations on a very successful first year. Thank you. I don't know if I really have a huge surprise other than it's more, it's not so much on the fundraising end of things. I guess this would be it. So the money is first and foremost, right? The grant that we give to a small organization is first and foremost. But right behind that is these, these amazing TNR groups, shelters, rescues, foster groups have now been validated. They've been seen and heard by a community that loves them. And what I guess surprised me the most was how much that has meant to them. And yes. I think that goes back to what we talked about where the burnout and, mm -hmm. and these mm -hmm. groups not being sustainable. I don't know how long we've just sustained them for, but we know that by doing this, it's not just the money. They feel, oh my gosh, there are people that care about us. Look at yes. this. This is from all over the country. There's donors from all over the country and they see us and they see the work we're doing and we feel validated. We know yes. our hard work is being seen. So I think for me, that was probably the biggest surprise because I focus so much on the financial part of it. Yes. That the other part is if you go, we video um, our grant giving and we give a check. There's tears every time and they are tears of joy sheer joy because these organizations don't have the bandwidth to raise that kind of money. It's a capital campaign, you know, and it's, you need to have a huge social media following these days. You need to have a huge sign up for your newsletters. That's the way money is raised now. It's not, it's not the same as it used to be. And so you're a small org and largely a lot of these small organizations across the country are down the road or not far from a bigger one, you know? And so there, there's a little bit of, there can be a little bit of competition for donors, especially in small communities. Absolutely. And so if you're a, a more, like if your building looks newly painted or, you know, has a look, doesn't mean you're necessarily doing better work, right? Right. It's the appearance. It's the perspective. Yes. Perception's reality. Because I worked with them, um, we gave a grant to a tiny organization in a shotgun city building. They've been around since 1990. Their cats are so loved. They're, they're no kill. The cats stay with them until they find their home or permanently. And oh my gosh, I just love them so much. And they, they had had some leaking and some ceiling tiles coming down and their dryer had broken and they didn't have a fire alert system. That was the one that I can't oh. sleep at night, right? Like right. I can't sleep at night knowing that. And so giving them a grant allowed them to put new lights in, new ceiling tiles, the new dryer, all these things. So now when people walk in, it has a look where you feel like, oh, you know, they're doing good work. But the reality was it was the same work they were doing before. Those cats are so well cared for. Yes. But- that's what we want to make sure. And I hope that it's not just Mission Meow. I hope that there's another one. Like take take what we're yes. doing and do it in your community. 
like keep doing this kind of work because there are so many organizations out there. The hardest thing that I have to do with my committee is make the decision of who we're going to help. I'm sure it's, and it's so interesting that you say validation because as I was a pet business owner for 12 years before the pandemic hit. And I remember how important those little bits of validation were for somebody who worked with animals all day. So the pets can't validate you verbally. They can't yes. reward your efforts. Obviously they purr and they love you and they're happy to see you. And that validates a whole other side of your heart. But hearing from another human that yeah. your worth is important is just so important. I've been there and I, I can't agree with you anymore. Well, we got to take a break right here. And I, this is why I invited Sally to be my hundredth episode guest, because yes, today we're celebrating. We're celebrating <laughs> Mission Meow's anniversary. We're celebrating my hundredth episode, but we got to take a break. As soon as we get back, I'm actually going to speak to Sally about another thing we share in common, our love of senior pets. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarada, and today I'm having a wonderful conversation with the founder of Mission Meow. She is Sally Williams, and she is just a star. I mean, just a star. She's somebody that I met at Super Zoo this year, fell in love with her immediately. Such a personable person, such a big heart, and such a badass lady. Oh, oh my God. I love you. You're amazing. I really do. So I just, I, when I invited you to do this 100th episode with me, I was like, I need a big personality, somebody who shares a lot of the same things I love and care about. So old cats. Old cats are the best. Old pets in general. November is when we celebrate Senior Cat Month. So I want to invite you to play a second game with me and it's called Old Cats Rock. And I want to give you, I'm putting you on the spot for this one. I'm giving you one minute on my clock to tell me why Old Cats Rock. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, start. Okay. Old Cats Rock because they have the most amazing faces. That gray and white hair that happens, those faces are so kissable. Old cats rock because they literally are so comfortable in their skin. They just do whatever they wanna do and they excel at it. You have a lap to fill, they're gonna do it. Surprisingly, you wanna play with them, they're still gonna play. Don't give up on that, they are just as amazing. 
There is something about the way an old cat knows you. There's an intuitiveness about them. The bond that you're gonna have with a senior cat is unlike anything else. I don't know if it's because they get it. You adopt a senior cat, I've always felt like they got it. They're so soulful. It's different, the kitten energy is all over the place and the senior cat is so soulful. And I feel That's like it. that part. That was a minute. Good job. Woo I love that. That's going to be make a great clip. All those reasons are perfect. Great work. I bet that in working with seniors or with shelters, you hear a lot about myths surrounding the whole senior cat thing. So first of all, for those who aren't familiar, what age would you consider a cat a senior? And what myths do you hear kind of regularly that you'd like to debunk if you had the opportunity? I mean, I really think they consider 10 as senior. 10 is kind of where you're senior, but I don't, I mean, I understand it from the, you know, the clinical perspective, but I mean, I've seen four-year-old cats that act the way we would think senior, and then you have 12-year-olds that are kittenish. So I think it's important from the perspective of veterinary world that when we hit the senior mark that we're doing things that we need to be doing. You want to be doing the biannual wellness exams, things like that. That's important. But I don't think it's like a label, you know, I don't think we want to put a label on it because just like humans, all seniors are very individual and have very individual needs. So just know your specific cat. That's what I would say is most important. And I think for adopting, I just, yes, you want to have the right household. But again, it's very individual, right? Some 10-year-old cats are just chill, lap cat just want the quiet home, you know, might be a match for a house without kids. Um, but then there's some quote unquote seniors that are still loaded with energy. You just got to match the individual and not the label of senior cat. Absolutely. And seniors, I think that, what is it? The oldest cat on record was like 39. So mm -hmm. I feel like 10. Yes. We have to say that just so that, you know, maybe, financially that there's maybe something coming or there's maybe some joint supplement you might need to give exactly that's why i said the veterinary perspective is important yeah but like other than that um they have a long life i think a lot of people don't want to get a senior because they think like oh how many years do they have left i mean they could have 20 years <laughs> if, if they're we don't know the answer to that question when you adopt a cat at any age any age one you don't know two you don't know so why would we treat 10 any differently i mean Cats are living longer because now we have better veterinary care. We have more options for food. We have supplements. People talk about enrichment now. Yes. So I think we're better pet parents, which translates into potentially, you know, barring any illnesses or whatever, longevity, happy cat, you know, enrich, you know, have the scratchers, the trees, the toys, all the different things. And then always be prepared to have your lap ready. Or if your cat's not a lap cat, maybe it's a nook cat or maybe it's like a, a Velcro cat just wants to be right next. But just, you know, 
I think we just have to look at things from the cat's perspective. Always. And I think one of the things that people don't do enough is talk to rescues and shelters and tell them, this is my lifestyle. Who do you have that might oh, need yeah. this? Because so many people go in being like, I want a Russian blue or I want a Siamese or I want a rag doll. And it's like, maybe you don't need that cat because maybe Let that cat's cat not available. I think that's Ooh. most interesting. I like, I was an adoption counselor for a while and I would just say to people, what was on your application as far as looks, whatever, just try to be some, leave it, leave it out there. And let's go into gazebos and see who gravitates towards you. Let's see what that is like. And oftentimes they walked out with nothing that was on their list, but was perfect for them. Yes. Yeah. Like I a 90 agree. year old, I had a 90 year old adopter who came in looking for a senior cat. She actually lived outlived that senior and she came in looking for a spicy kitty. I mean, I, she was came in with her Uggs and her, you know, she was just decked out fully. And somebody brought her over to me and said, you know, she's looking for a certain kind of cat. I'm thinking maybe Chiara is the right one for her and you know her best. So I brought this lady over who became a very good friend of mine and introduced her to the kitty. And I said, you're going to pet her once, twice. And when you go in for number three, she's going to turn around and smack you. But she's declawed, so it's not going to hurt you. She went over one, two, three. She got smacked and she just looked her. She said, I want her. That's the one I want. And she had been there for a while because of that behavior but it didn't bother her. And in fact, she, the bond those two had was so beautiful. And I was lucky enough to go to her home and have tea and spend time with her. She changed the kitty's name to Sarah. Sarah was this beautiful gray and white cat, big green eyes, and they were in love. So you just Aww. never know. That is so awesome. I love that story that she outlived two senior cats. And it's really important to recognize that everybody's in a different place and every cat's an individual. So it's about playing matchmaker. Wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Completely. Yeah. And I've had people help me. I, um, after I lost my Marlin, I saw a kitty who I thought, oh, that's the perfect one. And when I talked to the organization, I, I, who I, I knew them and they knew me and they said, I know what you're saying because you like the way the cat looks, but we have another kitty that we think is perfect for your personality. And he was such a dorky looking cat. I was like, oh my God, he just had these huge eyes and his ears were too big. And, but then I met him and he was perfect for me. They just, they really knew. And he still has those eyes. We call it resting surprised face because he always <laughs> looks like that, yes. surprised, but he's perfect for me. So working with people who, you know, ask the right questions and, you know, you, your match is made and we have a match made in heaven. Oh my God. I love my West so much. Aw, have you uh, adopted all of yours or have any shown up at your house? Well, Butch showed up. Yes. Butch <laughs> my, showed my, up. my feral kitty showed up because that's of course what's going to happen. But, um, I adopted them. I adopted them. Um, I have four cats. I call them the possum foursome. Um, I had had two, then expanded to three, expanded to four, um, and I like four. And so, you know, when I lost um, Marlon to cancer. Uh, I just, you know, gave myself a little time and then met and I adopted a kitten that time, which I typically don't adopt kittens. 
Um, but I did. And then uh, sadly, shortly after I lost Marlon, six months later, I lost my Finnegan to um, heart failure and ended up with uh, Jameson, who was also a kitten. But it was a, a good situation where it relieved pressure from somebody who took care of bottle babies and needed room in her house to keep moving Got it. forward. So I brought my little troublemaker home. He's all um, ginger, all ginger. <laughs> and I married well, me- ginger, so I know that. <laughs> yes, I know. They say, they say, I don't have any gingers in the house. I, I don't <laughs> think I can handle drama. Latina gingers and Latinas. I don't know. I don't know if I can handle it. But I, before we wrap up, just quickly, I want to have you just give us a quick rundown of why it's so important to TNR. Like that TNR, um, you know, you're talking about bottle babies. You're talking about, you know, the people who are working with ferals. What is so important about that work? The number one problem in the cat community is overpopulation. And the way to reduce overpopulation is through trap neuter return. That is the end all. That's it. If we want to bring the stress levels down for the people doing good work in the cat community, TNR is the answer to all of that because it's going to reduce the cat population. It reduces the stress in the shelters. It reduces the stress in the foster system and the rescues. It's it's the answer. It's the answer to all of it. And, you know, I mean... There, I, I see the burnout and the caretakers out there. You know, we need to reduce these populations. And so it's really important for people to spay and neuter their pets and for us to support TNR groups so that they have the means to keep this work going. Because people need to understand they do this for the love of cats. It is backbreaking, hard work. It's rewarding work. They know they're making a difference, but it's not easy to be doing this. And also caretaking the colonies is not easy, but that's why trap new to return. We need to reduce these populations. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I didn't want to finish up without hearing about that because I know your organization supports shelters, rescues, and TNR organizations. So how can we and my audience, how can I and my audience support Mission Meow? So you can support Mission Meow by going to our website, missionmeow.org. And the best way to support for individuals is to donate. That's the obvious way because we are not a shelter or a rescue. So there's no supplies or things like that that we need. But on the flip side, if you're a business that's interesting in becoming a donor, you go to the website, click on business partners, and you get to have a conversation with me. And I'll share all the details about it's important to know why we call it a partnership, because it is it is a partnership. There are perks to joining Mission Meow that we offer. We really want it to be something. It's not, oh, thank you so much for your money. Bye-bye. No, you come in, you join a family. It's a, it's a team that happens. And we make dreams come true. I mean, we really, really do. So it's so rewarding to be a business partner because it doesn't take a huge contribution. You can be a small business or you can be a big business, but you're not really sure you're feeling us out. It, it doesn't take a lot because it's coming together. So donating is huge and becoming business partner. Those are the big things for us. And just know that when you donate to us, the money is going to go to an organization that's been fully vetted. We have you know, a group of people that vet these organizations. So you know, and what makes us unique is when you donate, And then that month comes around where we give a grant, you know exactly where your money went. You know it paid for 
launching a foster program. Right now we're building a catio for an organization. You know, we talked about the um, upgrades that we made before. So there's all there's all kinds of things that we do, but you see it because the organizations give us photos and videos. So you know exactly where your money goes, which is pretty cool. The next one you're going to see is when the catio is done. This is one of the things I've wanted so badly. You're going to see video of when the catio is done and they lift up the doors and these cats can walk out of the shelter into a safe outdoor space. Like I just, it blows my, I cannot wait oh, to see that. It's so important for them. I have a little patio that's for humans that my cat so enjoys. It's his favorite place to be. So I can only imagine in a stressful shelter or rescue environment, how amazing that refuge would be for them. Well, I just want to propose. It is incredible. You're incredible. And your organization is incredible. Thank I just you. want to propose a toast to you for sh sharing your story with me, for celebrating my 100th episode. Congratulations. Person. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. I also want to propose a toast to my executive producer, Mark Winter. Thank you, Mark. And to our audience for joining us for these awesome conversations. Thank you for joining me for 100 episodes with some of my favorite pet people. I am so appreciative of this opportunity to chat with you and with my guests. So here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit CoveredInPetHair.com or PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>